And welcome everybody to this episode of Empowered PAs. Today we're going to talk about not only um, the pandemic, but really uh, burnout. So there was burnout prior to the pandemic, and then now it's just been in- amplified with the pandemic. So we have, of course, uh, Courtney uh, Titus, who is the uh, starter of Empowered PAs, and our guest, Kevin Williams, who is a psych PA down in South Florida. So welcome, everybody. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. So, Kevin, I've, I've noticed that, you know, I'm, I'm an orthopedic PA uh, up here in the panhandle. And, you know, we re- recently with the COVID-19 variant uh, uptake, you know, we had a lot more going on this, or at least numbers in our hospital, a lot more stress on us going, going on this go around uh, in the hospitals and the ER versus back last year in March and or the early days of when the pandemic was coming around back in 2020. And I know that's been similar in the state of Florida. Uh, I don't think we've had as many higher numbers as some er- other areas, but in, in overall compared to last year, our, in my area, the numbers were much higher. So that being said, I know the pandemic's affected me much different than say Courtney, who's a um, pediatric ER uh, PA down in the uh, Tampa area. Yeah, so and I'm also in the Tampa area as well, and um, I know for uh, mental health services, um, the area that I work in is the hospital setting, the nursing homes, ALFs, and in outpatient settings um, across the state of Florida in my role, and uh, we are seeing um, a significant level of burnout in our providers um, as well. And then in the outpatient setting, actually starting to see an increase in healthcare providers who are needing and reaching out for mental health services. So we are, we are definitely seeing uh, the impact of COVID um, and the, um, the social factors that take place because of it um, in the area of mental health as well. Well, not to, I don't want to eat up every time for like with me speaking, but Courtney, why don't you give a little, uh, I guess a little bit of your experience and then I'll be glad to share my experience of how, how COVID and and especially this go around into, you know, the Delta variant area here in 2020 has affected me, but, you know, give us some insight um, of how COVID and burnout has been affecting you. You know, it's funny, and Chris, we've talked about this offline several times, but the the thing that is interesting is that last year, I remember feeling like anticipating feeling burnout and with all of kind of that, you know, I went through personally with my own family getting sick and then kind of moving through COVID, there was stress, but I don't feel like I started getting burned out until the beginning of this year for whatever reason. Uh, And then kind of as the year started progressing, I started really focusing on my own mental health and wellness. And I've kind of shared that journey a little bit. Um, And I actually thought I was doing pretty good this summer. And, you know, we went to FAPA and like life was starting to make that turn and that pivot. I was really excited. And then Delta hit. And in the pediatric emergency medicine world, it's been truly just the volume has been insane. It has like considerably contributed to some morale changes in our own, you know, kind of communities, at least in the pediatric world, it's been very stressful. Um, and the burn, I feel in the burnout again, so it's, it's back and it's, uh, you know, but what's weird is now I recognize it. Like I'm, Oh, I remember this feeling. Oh, I know what this feels like. Uh, and I think I can kind of like shift a little bit more easily, but yeah, I could spend an hour just talking about that experience, but it's, it's been very challenging, mostly because the, 
it's our kids, right? Like it's mm. now we're seeing the kids and they're having not just COVID, but they're getting MISC in the, comp- the post-COVID complications. And that is, it's just devastating because these kids can't get vaccinated because they're aged. So it's yeah, been a yeah. challenge. Well, you know, I'll, I'll speak briefly about, you know, kind of my dealings, which is, it's been a lot different because in, in the orthopedic world, I'm not in the trenches with it. I, I'm just not. Uh, back in uh, March of 2020, um, it was really starting to, to move here in the U.S., you know, uh, more heavily, and the numbers were rising, but not necessarily in my area. And June, uh, of course, I deployed overseas, and during that time, um, it was really spiking. So I had stressors, but it was, it was, yeah, it was COVID, what was going on back home, being separated from my family, um, and then, you know, not, not knowing what to do and, 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 you know, what's going on. And, and of course all the news reports didn't help anything. Right. So that, that really stressed me out, especially being overseas. And then of course, you know, how we were, you know, trying to do uh, things that we were taking place over there to mitigate it. And one thing they, I know they did, uh, not just overseas, but, you know, in the U S too, you know, but, and the, they shut everything down. Like you, you couldn't, there was no, um, it was basically, I went to work, I went to my room and I ate and they tried to, you know, of course with the whole social distance things, you know, I had very little interaction or, or social interaction. So that, that took a toll, especially being deployed. I mean, that, that took a big toll on me being deployed, not having that, that not that it's normal being deployed, but that sense of normal, you know, interaction with people. Um, and we found ways to get it, but it, it was still hard. Um, especially being away from your families, but it wasn't that stress of seeing patients on a high load and being burnt out from that standpoint, because my patient load there was not heavy. I mean, we were at that time, you know, the, seems like the young and healthy were getting a pass. Right. And uh, so we didn't really have a lot of, uh, of, of sick uh, patients while I was there. Of course, COVID was there, but just not a lot of it. And then, you know, Fast track to to now with the COVID nineteen spike in our area, um, it was it was hitting a lot more. And I was I was getting a lot worried because yeah, I was I like you thought okay, we got the vaccine out now, more people got vaccine, we're not seeing the spike. Yeah. You know, you start to kind of breathe a little bit because like okay, I start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. But then our numbers spiked up, our ERs were getting overrun, and it was yeah, you still I mean it was pretty much of all comers, but obviously it hit the young, healthy, and really, you know, kind of that, uh, what around 50 to 20 something year old males and definitely unvaccinated. I mean, we, no one can deny that, that the large, you know, over 90% of it was unvaccinated that were getting admitted and then, you know, getting, and then from that standpoint, the numbers went the same to going to the ICU. And, and then also the numbers were still equally that same percentage being, you know, um, on ventilators. And so what I was seeing was just the stress of, well, my kid's going to get it again. They got it while I, my entire family got it while I was overseas. And and my mother-in-law almost uh, died from it and she's still dealing with the complications of it. Um, And of course my kids, the kids got it then. uh, But even uh, most recently, my son got it again. So he got the, you know, the 19 variant. And he's dealing with the post-COVID now. And like you mentioned, in his post-COVID, and everybody's getting a little bit different, his is headaches. He gets random sharp headaches. And there's no like rhyme or reason, you know, why he's getting his headache. It's not related to running. It's not related to activity. It's just 
you know, he can get it while running. He can get it just sitting down studying. So there's, there's no rhyme or reason from it. Um, and then you, you're finding people that are my age with families like I do that are being admitted and passing away. And so that put a lot of stress for me and worry with me. And then, then the jobs, you know, I mean, am I going to keep my job? Are they going to downsize me you know, from my job? Are they going to furlough again? You know, what are they going to do? Now, luckily they haven't done all that, but there's other PAs that that's happened to the first go around. Um, and then to add to that, um, I'm talking to my colleagues that are in the ICU, that are in the ERs, that, you know, and, and I find myself just, you know, feeling their pain and, and feeling their frustration. Although I'm not seeing it firsthand like they are, I'm not in the ER seeing them coming in. I'm not intubating five people that night and three of them passed away, all COVID and all unvaccinated. And whereas the first go round, there was no vaccine. So yeah, you still had folks that were coming in and passing away from COVID, but now it's like, now we're taking it harder. Like, especially us, at least what I can see is healthcare workers, because we've already went through all this once. Now we're going through it again. And now we're like pulling our hairs out. It's like, there's, there's a vaccine. And, and people aren't getting it uh, right. You know, granted um, our kids because of the age are, can't get it right now, but you know, we're all feeling that stress and it's women. And, and like I said, talking to my ER colleagues, my ICU colleagues and things like that. And, and just, I'm like, guys, you know, are you taking care of yourself? And I hear I'm picking up an extra shift because there's no one else is going to, they need help. They need help. I'm like, but is that the right thing to do? Yeah, mental health is not a priority. Kevin, have you noticed that, that um, in your practice, have you seen that, you know, instead of taking care of themselves, the healthcare workers are picking up more shifts to try to make up for the coverage, mostly out of guilt, I assume, because there's so much going on with passion? Yes, yes, we have have definitely seen that um, in talking with healthcare providers who are actually seeking um, mental health assistance. Um, I was sharing um, with Chris earlier that we've actually seen an influx of healthcare providers who are actually seeking out mental health assistance, um, which is an area that's oftentimes a struggle to um, admit that they're needing the help and assistance. <clears throat> but uh, I know my own mother, she works in ICU as a ICU nurse and um, she already has several conditions that makes her um, compromised. And I'm often telling mom, I'm like, I understand that they're blowing your phone up to come in for another shift. But the answer is no, because if you don't take care of yourself and we won't have you around any longer, and, um, uh, seeing that my family has gotten COVID, my mother was hospitalized um, uh, due to it. And um, it's, it's affecting um, healthcare providers, uh, she just uh, messaged me um, yesterday <clears throat> and was mentioning that her, one of her patients, uh, 40 years old, came in and died and she just lost it. She's been going four days, five days straight and she's lost it. So she was taking several days off um, to really just allow for her mental state to improve. Um, but yes, it's, it's definitely a level of guilt. And they're in the trenches and um, facing what everyone else is facing. So they want to give their part. Um, 
So yes, uh, my my am I just considering like how beyond this the how it happened COVID right? But right. really trying to understand why it's affecting us so bad. You know, I I thought the, through the fact that we as PAs and just healthcare providers, nurses and NPs and doctors, we all got into this to solve this problem. We wanted to be a part of a solution. And I find with the first wave in 2020, we were all working through getting the solution. And then when, like, I remember in that August, September period, and then we had FAPA and it was virtual and uh, it was just a sense of like, we'll get back together a little bit. And it was always like, oh, next year, we're going to be back together, going to be a whole different process. And then when the Delta variant started and it just went through all these areas, those solutions and the support that we were accustomed to were all stripped from us. Um, And I find that's where um, we as practitioners, and I know we haven't started talking about solutions, but for me, I've really been getting to explore how do we identify I'm becoming one of the statistics of burnout. And the first for me has been really beginning to identify and chronalize my stressors. Uh-huh. What are the things personally um, uh, in, the, in, the, in occupation, socially, what are those stressors? Writing those down and um, admitting those. And as healthcare practitioners, PAs, we're not the best at that, right? We are, we're going to go spearhead because one day there'll be the solution. We'll have the support. So I'm going to stand the gap. Well, that gap is becoming this long period of time. And that's where, for me, I find practitioners just spent getting divorced, not seeing their kids anymore, um, uh, quitting their jobs, leaving their jobs, going on the clock, but not working like they were working before. So that's another problem ethically um, and just exhausted, but can't stop because if they stop, they lose their jobs and they're afraid of that. So it's just a perpetuating problem that we've seen in my offices and where I've been working with with individuals. Well, I mean, I think that kind of, you know, you kind of segmented into kind of double, double thing here. So there's burnout. This topic has been ongoing for years before COVID. Just your personal burnout with whether it's you made it yourself, whether it's the man that the healthcare system prior to COVID was placing on you with, you know, how you see your patients, how you're taking care of patients, EMR. Oh, my goodness. You know, I, I remember sitting in the orientation with a new physician and the IT person said, well, it's just one more click. And he goes, if I hear just one more click one more time, I'm going to lose it. But he's right. Right. He, he's right with these EMRs. Yeah. You know, it's 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 death by clicks. Yeah. And and, uh, and so I really felt his pain. And when you're that EMR person or that administrator or that IT person, you're thinking this is all great, it's all automated. They don't understand Arian from that, you know, how it takes away from that patient care. And this really, that's how we got into this field is taking care of patients. But so you had, you had that and you mentioned it here, what are your stressors? It, it may be related to work and it may not be related to work. And it may be on c- compound too with things happening at work, family life, work life, 
you know, the drive in, you know, what, what have you. But then, then with this COVID, it's amplified everything. It, it's put a spotlight on all kind of problems in healthcare and just in, in just society in general. Um, so, so I have noticed that. Um, you, you mentioned people quitting their jobs. That's been a big problem lately. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, some people, physicians, PAs, nurses, older in age, close to retirement anyway, they're like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm going to retire. I, I don't blame them, right? I don't blame them. But then some of, some of our colleagues are quitting just because they've had enough. You know, they, 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 they've given all that they could give and they're, they're finding um, a different career. You know, it's funny. I had this conversation and I think Chris, this is what you and I had talked about a while ago is I had this conversation with one of my colleagues and we were just casually chatting and we were both kind of in agreement that we used to work in the ER. You tend to work like block shifts, right? You work several shifts in a row. So you have several shifts off. That's just kind of like, that's the lifestyle of an ERPA. Well, we were both kind of saying simultaneously that I can't do more than two shifts at a time, or I, it takes me so long to recover by the time I'm finally like feeling back to normal and feel like I'm recovered after a shift, I'm going back to work. And it's just what used to be this, like, I can work five shifts in a row and then have five days off. We just can't do that anymore. Like the, the cognitive load of all of the change and the stressors and the like life stuff, which are at the gas station and you see crazy people on TV. It's just, it's so much that we just can't do it anymore. And that changes medicine too, right? Like it's insane to kind of think of the, the different permit permutations and the ripple effect of the, of the whole thing. Well, I, I find and, the same thing with, go ahead, Kevin. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say, and Courtney, that's that's the I'm, I'm, I'm smiling because you would have thought that you and I probably talked before. My <laughs> second my second thought was that we really need to create new boundaries. Yeah. Like we and oftentimes it's that very same thing, like, oh, I used to be able to do this. Like what's happening? And folks are like, you know, I, I've, I've gotten COVID and I'm, I'm not able to sustain. I'm not able to go. I, I haven't gotten COVID, but I'm not able to sustain. I'm not able to go. We have to identify those new boundaries and then stick to it. I, I don't know what to say, but I, I, I can't do this. Do you think they know how to, though? Because I can tell you I didn't. I didn't. I, I had to, like, actively seek out what was going on. I had no idea. I really had no idea so, what was triggering me and what was be, what was causing those problems and that I was not setting those boundaries. Do you feel like that they know? I don't think so. Um, and that's the, the major issue is um, until something tragically happens and then they're faced to admit some things. Um, but no, no, because it's the it's the personality of most and I'm going to use the word healthcare professional. I don't think this really, it just pertains to PAs. Um, I think this is across the board. There's medical assistants and um, front office and registration clerks and so many folks who have to deal with us in, in healthcare that are, um, I was talking to a healthcare provider just last week and she was like, I go to, I show up to work, I'm doing all these things. And then the medical assistant midday just walks out <laughs> and, and quits and yeah. then because we don't have anyone else, she comes back next week and we have to accept her. And like the, 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 the games mentally that's played there, like how do you walk out on us as a team and then get to come back and we have to accept you because there's no one else. 
it's it's those it's those aspects that I'm seeing in mental health specifically that's driving depressive rates and driving issues with sleeping and insomnia and several other mental health conditions. Um, but yes. I tell you, I tell you, you mentioned insomnia and that's something I've dealt with a lot here lately. It's just those nights where, I mean, either no sleep or one sleep and it's not because I was up working. It's just, you know, my mind wouldn't shut off. Um, so, so Kevin, you, you mentioned this and I think we've all touched on it. What are some, signs that we as healthcare providers or anybody in general should watch out for, for signs of, of, of burnout? First, um, changes in mood in personal relationships. Um, because we have to perform so well in the professional settings, normally when we're at home, um, our family members, or if you're living with someone or friends, they're going to identify that your mood is changing. I know for me, my wife did. I wasn't accustomed working from home. I was now seeing patients 35 via telemedicine. And, you know, it's small things like they can't figure out how to log on. So they're 30 minutes late and I still have to see them. It was those small things. And my wife just made mention to me one day. And she was like, I was coming home and, well, I was leaving this office and going out and I was having a glass of wine like every night. And she was like, is it really that bad living with us? And I was like, <laughs> I, I was don't like, mean to no, laugh, but no, I can hear her say that. No. Yeah. My, my, you know, she's like, is it that bad living with your son and your wife? And I was like, yeah. no, what's, what's wrong? And she's like, well, I'm noticing a change in your behavior. Point one, mm-hmm. whenever folks around us who are really close to us, not in the professional setting, but in our personal setting starts to share whether they're allowed to or not, when they start sharing changes in mood, that's major issues. You're already passed. You got to make some changes. But normally, because it's not affecting us in our professional setting, we're going to still continue to drive on and move on. But that's really where you have to identify something's wrong. And I need a third person to really help me identify. And this is not just a pitch for mental health. Right. But I believe every healthcare clinician needs to be seen by someone else to help evaluate their their current mental health status. It's not that there's a diagnosis that's attached and the stigma that comes with it. It's just, let's just call it COVID. Like there's some, some sequela because of COVID and because of our current healthcare system. And we need to have counseling and we need to be evaluated by a psychiatric provider to just say you're good start with counseling, but yeah, insomnia is huge. It's huge. The mind isn't turning off. And what we're going to turn to is some alternative measures. So yes, you're going to start consuming larger amounts of alcohol. I'm not calling you alcoholic. You're just consuming it. You're teetering with your cage, right? right. And we don't want to admit those things. Those, those numbers good. on the cage is going up. Yeah. So, but so you may be performing once I'm performing well in my professional setting and the people around me in my professional setting don't see it, then we as PAs, practitioners, doctors, um, um, DOs, whatever, we're good because the one thing that we said we were going to always be is great healthcare clinicians. Well, you mentioned like you mentioned that fact that your, your wife brought it up and I, I already know the answer. 
did you find yourself not blowing her off at first and not believing her? Actually, because of my lifetime's relationship, and I think because I'm in mental health, I actually, right then, I scheduled a counseling appointment. I have a counselor that I go to. I'm in Orlando. And I drove from Riverview all the way to Orlando for an appointment that Friday. Because just her saying that, it triggered for me something was wrong. Like I, I got kidney stones because of it. Like I was a mess. Yeah. Um, not that I was drinking. I was only having one glass. And, right. But that's not my custom. I'm normally one drink on a weekend or once every other week. But it was like just to deal with being on multiple phone calls about nothing I could solve dealing with all of these these issues folks losing their homes it, it it was just horrific that i was like i need something to be able to function with the family give me 15 minutes and i'll be back <laughs> I, I commend you man that's like if for you to immediately make that phone call and be like i gotta go <laughs> we're, we're gonna be going that's like props to you that's huge that's a huge deal so, so i was not that quick um, so, so the first time I, I, I was like, whatever, you know, I was like, whatever, just, you know what you're talking about, right? You're just, you're just being the nagging wife. You're just being the nagging wife. And I've never, never like, like jokingly, I've picked up my wife about being nagging, but I've never really just called her nagging wife. At that time I was like, quit being nagging, you know, quit nagging me. Right. And then there was one time and I still joke about this because it's still a funny joke one time. And cause it's similar to what you said, I came home, I fixed a drink. She goes, I mean, do you really have to have a drink when you get home? I looked around and saw all my kids screaming at the top of their lungs and just piercing my ears. I looked around and said, yeah, yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know, just that example right there. Yeah. To get through this night, I need this drink. (laughs) Uh, And and so we kind of stopped there, but it's just, it's just a, for me, that was just a funny moment that uh, I I thought I'd share with you guys. Um, But yeah, so, so you know, number one is that people started noticing change about your mood and behavior. What's, what's another one? Decrease in your, in your performance. Mm -hmm. Um, We typically mask that by focusing on what we're doing best, but actually really evaluating what we're not doing best. So I'm spending less time because I have to click a bunch of buttons. I'm, 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 my, for individuals who are outpatient, my refill request list has doubled. Um, my callbacks are, are f- going further out, um, really starting to notice decrease in proficiency and performance um, is another large area that in my experience, I've begun to see with healthcare providers that something's wrong. Uh, there is there is the, this issue with um, once a provider obtains COVID and, and undergoes um, the process of quarantine and all those uh, all the items, there's fogged brain. Um, we're seeing some memory loss. Actually, I've, um, I've, and I'll share this here, I've actually opened up my own private practice um, where we've been scanning um, brains in our office um, and every healthcare provider, I actually scan them um, to assess right now where they are. And then over the course of six months, we'll retest them um, to monitor the brain waves. But we're seeing insomnia 
in folks who've never had insomnia before, sleep disorders, memory loss, and not um, answering questions correctly as we're testing their brains. Um, but they believe that they're functioning well until they see those results. And then we start having that tough conversation. So what, what type of scan is that you guys are doing? Is that a... In, in so it's a brain view. It's a 21 lead EEG, EKG, pulse ox, and um, evoked response um, potential. So ERP. And um, it takes about a 40 minutes to some... Um, t- there are some things that they have to do that keep their eyes open, try not to blink for five minutes, close their eyes for five minutes. Um, we begin to see drowsiness through that period. And then there is a series um, of about 30 minutes where they go through different test questions and they're asked. And really what it's doing is it's, it's evaluating um, their endurance. So I've had um, a counselor that came into the office and was being seen and their issue was they've not been able to maintain one hour sessions. And for counseling, it's normally one hour. And this particular person was mentioning that, you know, it's only been 20 minutes and they're making some excuse for why, like, they're like, oh, um, we're done for today. We're going to pick up next week. And they were recognizing that. So they came in to get evaluated and we see their stamina is gone. So I had to tell the provider, like, hey, you're going to have to start doing 20 minute sessions until we can work with you to get you back up to do your hours. But you're not going to be down an hour anymore. So what does that do, right? It it scares the provider. They're not going to be as effective. They're going to have to work, was that four times harder? No, three times harder um, to get to the 60 minutes. You're going to have to see more folks. They're going to have issues with their employer, right? All of this anxiety comes up. So they stay up at night, not being able to sleep, just thinking about the fact that I could potentially be fired next week. That's so interesting. That's so that's so I sought therapy last year after I went through a pretty stressful year. And the reason why I did that was because my memory was changing. I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I can't recall what my patients' families are telling me. They'd tell me something. I'd have to go back in with a piece of paper and write it down. I'd sit at my computer and completely blank. My notes were taking, I was staying an hour plus after work to just finish notes because I was not being as efficient. I'm like, something is wrong. And our volumes were very low. Like there's no reason that that should have been happening. So that's so interesting. And I had no idea. I was just like, something's wrong. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I wouldn't, that would not be a good sign for me. Not, not remembering something. Cause that's been something that's been dealing with me for uh, probably since I was in high school. Well, I can tell you as a healthcare provider, in the middle of a pandemic and suddenly having memory changes, like I thought, like, did I have some kind of intracranial process? Right. Like I was legitimately like differentialing myself. And it was this stress, you know, my father had COVID and almost died. He was intubated and hospitalized. It was awful. It was awful. And then my son got diagnosed with a chronic illness. And then we had, you know, financial stuff with like potential job loss. And there was questions there. So like, it was just a hard year. And I was just finding that I was struggling and I didn't pick up on it. It took me like probably a month before I was like, I've got to do something up because I legitimately was just like, something is wrong with me and I can't figure it out. So that's so interesting. I wish I'd talked to you beforehand, Kevin, that would have been very helpful. I know. I know. (laughs) And, it, you know, to speak to therapy and, you know, starting with a therapist and then, you know, following up as needed, it's like, 
I think that the other piece of this I can just say is that there's a lot of like stigma as a healthcare provider. There's, you know, some people think that if you're diagnosed with certain um, illnesses that you're no longer able to work because there are a lot of questions when you renew your state licensure about your mental health, which is a completely separate topic than from what we're talking about today. But I think that the stigma isn't just the social stigma of seeking out therapy and, you know, trying to seek a diagnosis if that's the case, but also like there's this whole other legal element. And so I feel like people just, they don't want to go there from that, from the general stigma. And then you add that extra layer of complexity to threatening your job. And it's just, one of those things that I think people, healthcare workers especially, are going to shy away from. So I'm really glad that, you know, people talk about it like it's a normal thing. It gets normal for healthcare providers who are in a stressful situation and we have stressful jobs uh, to seek yeah. out help and have have a somebody to listen to you. I think that's really important. Yes, I agree. hundred percent. So Kevin, we talked about the change of mood. We talked about decrease in performance. Is there any other indicators that we should be watching out for, or is that kind of like the key, the top, the top two, or is there other ones that you've seen? Um, those are the top two. The others are normally more in the extreme cases. Yeah. Um, and that's again, when uh, their personal lives or their professional lives are significantly altered and they have no control. Um, the, the, the biggest part is that we're, as healthcare providers, we're trying to maintain some sense of normalcy. So when their personal lives are changed, right, either their spouse leaves, there's infidelity or anything to that nature, or just loss of love, or in the job setting, demotion or transferred or furloughed or any of those cases, it cascades into other issues. That's not everyone. Right. Um, but I feel as though when we start talking and going back prior to COVID and going back into joining into the profession of healthcare, there's kind of been a spiral slowly unraveling of what they've tried to maintain, right? So we as PAs and NPs, there's a, there's a level of competition for every job opening that we're all trying to maintain. So we have to keep up with something. So um, I, it, it's said, it's been posted and you see it all over social media, but it's really okay not to be okay. And the questions on our licensure and the legality parts of that versus us actually getting the help that we need. Um, some providers just pay cash and they try to do that. And I try to explain to them, you coming and seeing me doesn't indicate that you have this chronic mental health disorder that you're unable to treat individuals. This means you're human. You are a human being that is experiencing life and you're needing assistance. Congratulations for admitting it and coming in. So affirming that their decision to come in, really apprehensive. Um, some of them will cancel their appointments, um, but you know, getting into the office and really talking um, and then meeting someone who's able to um, communicate, right? Not speaking over you. We're in the trenches together. We're working through this. Let's get through this together. Finding those type of clinicians is so important to being able to be open. Um, so, yeah. 
So, so Kevin, you mentioned, you know, obviously right away when you, you like your example was when some of those signs came on that you went and saw your, um, you know, your counselor. So we know we need to find someone to talk to, preferably a, a third party, preferably someone, you know, that knows what they're doing. Right. I mean, at, at very least a good friend, but you really want somebody that's that's trained in, in this type of area. But what are some other things? And, and Courtney, I'm sure you can speak on this, too. I, I know you've, we've talked about different examples that you're doing um, that we can do to help mitigate some of this stressor in our lives and and, you know, kind of reset almost, you know, I, I love taking vacations, but, you know, I, I try to tell some of my colleagues, you know, hey, you need to take a vacation or something, but they're like, I can't do it. I got to keep working. But, you know, what are some things to do when you really can't take a vacation? You really can't take that time off, whether because you just got over being sick or being at home with a loved one because they were sick, but you still need that, that help. You want me I'm to let Courtney, because I have I'm so let, many I'm things. Let, I'm going to let Courtney <laughs> go first and then I'll, I'll close it out. All right. All right. We'll let the professional handle the professional piece of it. I can just tell you what I did. And, uh, and I can tell you, as soon as I kind of recognized that I was kind of back in that burnout cycle, um, I, yeah, I was still in contact with my therapist and, you know, we were kind of working through it. And one of the first things that was said was your yeses are very messy. And I was like, wait, what? And, and what, I, he re, what he was trying to get me to realize was that I just kept taking on things. I don't know if it was to keep myself busy or because I felt like my world was falling apart. And if I just kept saying yes to the things I, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so your yeses are very messy, like hit me like right to my core, <laughs> like so bad. So I, he's like, take, you know, a few weeks and just st a stop taking on, you know, don't keep putting water in the boat. And so saying no was probably the first thing. Um, and then I took about six weeks to, and I think Chris, at you, I said no to at some point, because I yes. was like, I am not doing anything yep. next six weeks. I'm going to clean up what exists and then reassess and kind of see what, what kind of falls through. I stopped doing our virtual shadowing events. I stopped kind of everything that helped a lot. Um, at the same time I started journaling and Kevin, you said it perfectly is like, like recognizing your triggers means you have to pay attention to yourself and ask those, like, it's also getting curious about them as like, why is this bothering me so much? <laughs> and so like, I started with prompts. I'd never journaled before February BTW. That's not a thing that Courtney did before this year. <laughs> uh, but so I was reading, there's a couple of self-help books that I really liked, but they kind of gave me ideas for uh, journaling prompts. And one of them was what I witness and what I can do about it. And that was it. It was just like, I, and so I found myself, like, if I was really frustrated, I am really frustrated at the end of this shift today. What is going on? It was a kind of a normal shift. It wasn't, there was no real sadness. There was no real excitement. Why am I so frustrated? And then kind of figuring out, oh, it's because it's my fourth shift in a row and I didn't sleep at all last night. And, you know, I haven't seen my kids because our schedules have been off or whatever. And it was like really getting curious about my, like my symptoms, if that makes sense, that has, that helped a lot. I filled a journal in like two months, <laughs> like I just filled it up, just writing stream of thought kind of stuff. Um, and there's more, you know, started doing like the headspace meditations are like five minutes. Also meditation, not a thing that this girl has ever really done. Like it's too woo-woo for me, but that it's not even meditation. It's just quieting your mind. Like it's just being quiet and kind of like paying attention to your environment five minutes a day, that and the journaling and the just like self-reflection and saying no, 
were like my big, my big top things. And that made a huge, like, it just gave me a room to breathe. And that gave me some reflection time. So I don't so want to share, but go, go. Cause you guys, I, I want to share something that is going to, I, I learned this. I'm currently in the process of, of going through some intense training for therapeutic services with EMDR. And as you look at the amygdala, um, it has no time or space. So through the traumatic events, and that's where a lot of our traumatic um, things stay in our brain. So it replays over and over. And that's really what causes the issues, or it's believed what causes a lot of the issues in us staying up and not being able to sleep. So with your meditation and you recognizing and you use that word curious, I love that, becoming curious as to why it allows for you to move some of those things from the amygdala into the part of the brain where you can process it and let it go. So the journaling makes you see it, right? You have to write it. So you're processing that you're actually writing these words, which is why we have our kids write down their spelling words five, 10, oh, this is my son. He has to write down his spelling words five or 10 times you know, per day to get his spelling words right. Um, so we do that. Um, but I wanted to share that you, what you did matches um, the research that's out there in our brain, which is why brain view is so important to me because you can see it, fix it, and then show the person you don't have it anymore. You're good, right? So we move from this subjective, oh, I feel a certain way to hard evidence that's there and you move forward. Great, I love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Is the amygdala, that's the limbic system, right? That's kind of the emotional section of the brain. Yeah, that makes sense. And through, and through, and through stress, cortisol, it actually begins to enlarge the amygdala. It gets larger and larger in size. So that is, yeah. And then that cortisol is this uninhibited process. Sorry, I don't mean to get all scientific. Oh, nerd Um, out, man. You're in, you're in good company. (laughs) But it, it begins to enlarge. Um, this, this past weekend, I, I did a, um, a course for a bunch of CEOs discussing stress and CEOs, right? And really identifying what does stress and cortisol do to the body. So we see several issues that we all understand metabolically, but that amygdala in the limbic system begins to enlarge in size. That's crazy stuff. It's very real too. And that's, I mean, that's it it's hard evidence as a, as a, pseudoscientist, right? A medical scientist, I guess, uh, that it, it speaks to the like realness of you kind of feel, and I hate to say this, but you feel like you're crazy. Like why, why, why can't I handle this? I've always seen, I'm a paramedic. I've seen things way worse than this. I've dealt with things way worse than this, but it feels so real. So that's, it's, I like hearing that science behind that. I think that that's, uh, speaks to truly speaks to kind of what's going on for people. So very interesting. And- and that was the passion really to go, you know, and open my own organization was I was, I was tired through COVID and through all of this, just mega company, right? Go see patients, go see patients, go do this. And I was like, no, we got to change this more to quality. Let's, let's, let's treat folks for a reason and, um, and fix that. So good. So Kevin, with your new, uh, the new clinic you've got going on, uh, what's your, what's your focus? Well, I guess repeat some of your, I know you've touched on it. What's your focus in your, is it all comers or is there certain, uh, you know, certain, uh, I guess, area of expertise that you're focusing on? 
So honestly, in the full lifespan, so seeing adolescents, children, seeing adults in geriatric populations, um, our our vision for on-point behavioral health has been to clear the path for personal transformation. So in doing that, making sure that individuals have access to care, so you're not waiting three months to see a provider, ensuring that you have accountability and um, ensuring that there's compassion through your care. Uh, so we're all, we all have the risk of it being faced with mental health and um, not treating you like you have an issue, but this issue needs to be addressed. So let's do it together. Um, and then <clears throat> ensuring that we're innovative. So uh, trying to, not trying, the, the goal of, of our organization is to redefine mental health, how it's treated, how it's being done. So spend a lot of um, investment in, in innovative approaches to treating individuals. So when you come to our office, whether it's virtually or whether it's in person, the, your experience is totally different than going into several other offices. It's serene. Uh, everything has been intentional from the time you call in until the time you get your prescription of medication or sent to a, a counselor or a therapist. Everything is intentional. There's follow-up. We're checking on you. We're making sure that things are done. So we're not worrying about the volume of patients. We're worrying more about the quality of care because if folks get better, then they're able to learn these techniques and then they are healed, they're transformed, right? Yes, you might still need a medication long-term, but your process and your ability to journal and to meditate and several aspects, then when the next hurdle comes, you have the techniques and you know what to do. So that's what we do. So for those that, you know, maybe searching out for your clinic, is there a website they can go to or a phone number they can call or anything like that? Certainly, yeah. And we treat folks all over the state of Florida, um, but it's our website is www.onpointcare.net. Um, and the phone number is 813-803-2999. All right. Well, perfect. So we're, we're coming up on an hour now. So uh, those of you that are listening probably don't want to listen over an hour anyway. Uh, there's a lot of great topics that we touched on tonight. Most of it, obviously, burnout and what how to how to spot it and, and some techniques to, you know, to, to deal with it. Uh, there's a lot that we went over that I think we could probably just have another hour on so many different topics that we just briefly touched on tonight, you know, and I can count. So, so Kevin, would you be willing to come back and do an, uh, another topic sometime? Certainly. I'm, I am excited. Thank you for the invitation to um, come and talk about um, a topic that's not widely discussed in our community. So um, thank you to you both for the invitation and for um, allowing me to come and share. Well, we, we really appreciate you uh, being here tonight and uh, for this recording. And then uh, those of you that are listening or watching on YouTube, you know, make sure you go on uh, on the YouTube channel, hit, hit the like if you like it, and then, uh, you know, share it with your friends and uh, just uh, let everybody know about the topic and know more about, they can find out more about this uh, type of information on empoweredpas.com. And so we really appreciate everybody tuning in. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Kevin. And we'll make sure that we have all his information on the blog post so that everybody has access to it as well. Thank you so much. Thank you.